The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star at its rising and have come to do him homage. Then King Herod heard this, he was greatly troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, For thus it has been written through the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, since from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called and the Magi secretly the then Herod called the Magi secretly, and ascertained from them the time of the star's appearance. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may go and do him homage. After their audience with the king, they set out. And behold, the star that they had seen at its rising preceded them until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. When they were overjoyed at seeing the star, and on entering the house they saw the child with Mary his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their country by another way. The Gospel of the Lord. I just got back uh, yesterday from a, a trip to Phoenix, Arizona. Went to Phoenix, Arizona uh, to join in a FOCUS conference. Focus, FOCUS is Fellowship of Catholic University Students. And I was involved with FOCUS and it was really influential for me uh, when I started college in a Bible study and also on a mission trip. And is a lot of the reason why I'm here today. Uh, FOCUS was started in the late, 1900, uh, late, late 90s. And uh, it's grown exponentially. It's grown huge. It keeps on expanding to more and more campuses. Uh, this conference that they had uh, this past week was called Student Leadership Summit. And so it specifically brought the students uh, who were leading Bible studies or who were kind of Catholic leaders on campus uh, there. And the conference had over 9,000 people. Uh, probably about 8,000 college students and then about 1,000 uh, other people. Uh, there was a, a couple hundred priests, uh, some bishops, one cardinal uh, from Germany came over uh, for it, as well as all the big-name Catholic speakers, uh, as well as a whole bunch of women religious and, and men religious. And it was just a really wonderful time. And, and what I really uh, was very grateful to be able to go to it, to, to learn a little bit more, uh, but also to just be filled with hope. I think a lot of the times we can kind of experience and we can see it in our own families, uh, just a lot of people leaving the church and just kind of saying, well, what's going to be around another five, ten years? You know, what about in another 20 years? What's, what's going to happen? And uh, with 8,000 college-age leaders on their campuses, uh, I think that we have some hope for the future. Um, 
But I would say, you know, that doesn't say that we're good, right? Okay, they've got it. We don't need to do anything. Um, One of the things that I think why Focus has been so successful on their college campuses, it it is a specific program uh, to a certain degree. And you can say, well, the program works. But but what we realize about evangelization and about Christianity is that Christianity is not a program. It's not just if you do the right steps, then everything works out. Uh, but in fact, it's, it's more than that. And one of the things about Focus uh, that really um, excites me is just their, their love of the gospel. That uh, their conviction that Jesus has done something good in their life. That Jesus is good. That he is Lord And that other people need to know about it. That other people, in fact, will benefit from knowing who Jesus is. And it's in that type of evangelization, realizing how good God is to us, and knowing that he is good for other people, allows it to be an evangelization of just something good. It's kind of like the Green Bay Packers. You can't help but, you know, try to get other people to be Green Bay Packer fans because any other fans, especially Viking fans, just have a lot of hurt and, you know, a lot of difficulty, right? And so you just, you know, you want them to to experience the goodness of being a Packer fan. Of course, you know, that's, you know, one, one sort of example. But, you know, I bring up that example, and it is kind of funny that we are much easier to kind of evangelize about the Green Bay Packers, Or about something else that we've experienced good in our lives, but yet it's really difficult for us at times to talk about the good that Jesus has done in our life. And I think part of that is because we don't always acknowledge the good that God has done in our life. We're not always aware of that. I think a lot of the times we experience or we're aware more of the sacrifices that we make for God. I was thinking about the Magi today. The Magi are out seeking this Christ, right? They're like, where is this Christ? We want to go worship him. And when they find him, they're able to give him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which were really expensive at the time. And I think about it, and I'm like, well, was it good that the Magi ended up finding him? You know, if they they wouldn't have found Jesus, they would have been able to keep the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? That would have been good for them, right? I mean, they wouldn't have had to make that sacrifice of giving up that gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they would have probably been about the same, right? They would have just been able to keep those gifts. And I think a lot of the times we can kind of experience Christianity in that way. We're like, well, I've got to give up this gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I've got to give up my Sunday mornings. And, you know, it's probably better if people just, you know, it's, people's lives aren't that much different whether they know Jesus or not. So, you know, what's the point of, of you know, uh, of finding Jesus? And what we have to be convicted of is that actually it makes all the difference. In the first reading, it speaks about this, right? The world, the darkness covers the earth. And I think so much, so very true. Darkness does cover the earth. There's so much more, there's, there is and always has been amazing, you know, the one doctrine that we don't need to prove is original sin. We look out into the world and we see original sin. We see the sin of the world, the violence, the abuse, the, the division, the fighting, right? The greed, 
And we just see it and we're like, wow, that's dark, right? I mean, what is happening? Is there a God? There's just darkness that seems to overtake the world. And what kind of future is there? Well, God is. Jesus. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. That shines in the darkness of our lives and shines in the darkness of this world. And Jesus Christ does not want to just come to do something and then to be ignored, right? He came to save us from our sin and to save the world from sin. And it's because of that that we have the responsorial song. Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. Not some nations, not just people. I find this very interesting. Today in our secular age, right, we want to say, well, the nations do their own thing. Individual people worship. But no, actually, we understand that every nation on earth will adore you. Every nation, because everything will adore you is what we, what we desire, is that everything, everything, ourselves, each of us individually, but also all of the world, all our nations, everything that we do as humanity would worship God and acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. And it's in that that we bring light in the darkness. Now, Jesus doesn't promise us prosperity, and wealth, and ease. In fact, he promises us persecution and the cross. So why do we want that? (laughs) Don't we want ease? Don't we want, uh, you know, kind of that? Well, yes, but not here on earth. We do the one thing that the world cannot give, that Jesus Christ gives, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of heavy crosses, is he brings us peace, if we, if we unite it to him. Um, if we don't unite it to him and just try to do it ourselves, we might not exactly get peace, right? Or we still need to conform him in the, in the midst of it all. Uh, but that peace is something that the world cannot give. And we uh, look out into the world and we know that the light of Christ is so badly needed in this world. Every evangelization uh, is a success. Every single invitation is a success because we share Jesus Christ. Um, hopefully all of us have experienced the peace that Jesus brings us, the light that he brings us in our, in our life, and that we have to say, you know, Lord, to whom shall we go, right? We know no other way but you, Jesus. And in that, we want to share it. But I love St. Paul's words. He also says, the God's grace was given to me for your benefit. So he says, like, the grace that St. Paul received in his conversion was given for the benefit of those that he would evangelize, that he would share the grace that he received was for the benefit of other people. And similarly for us here today, the grace that we receive in our baptism, in our confirmation, in the sacrament of reconciliation, in the sacrament of the Eucharist, is for us, right? We receive that grace, but it's not to be kept for ourselves but is actually for the benefit of those around us that we encounter and talk to and interact with. One of the the groups of people that we interact with the most, that probably is the most difficult, is the family, right? But God has given us the family to interact 
with and to evangelize. And every single generation needs to be newly evangelized because every single generation newly encounters Jesus Christ in their life. But how do we evangelize our family? I would say one of the most difficult people, one of the most difficult uh, group of people that we kind of talk to and evangelize is our family. I'll be honest. I have a super difficult time. My three siblings, I'm the priest, and my three siblings don't practice Catholicism. They don't go to Mass. You know? And talking to them is incredibly difficult, even though that I'm the priest. Right? Uh, It's not easy, but yet... God has given us the family to do that. And one of the things, you know, certainly everyone has their free will, and and there's only so much that we can do. But one of the things that I uh, just learned on the last day of the Focus Conference is the the founder of Focus was speaking about a conversation that he was having with somebody who was doing a lot of studies about this, right? What is, what you know, just asking a lot of questions and trying to find some statistics of why some people stay in the faith, why some people don't, why are some people evangelized, not other. And so what he did is, is they looked at families, they looked at, you know, a, a statistical amount of families Families where all the children still practice uh, the faith. And so they interviewed and asked hundreds of questions to those families. And then they interviewed families that practiced the faith when they were growing up, but that all the children left the faith. And they basically just asked a whole bunch of questions. They wanted to see what was one of the most, you know, what, why did some families, everybody practice faith, and why did some, nobody did. And what they kind of thought, you know, like, well, maybe it's, you know, going to Mass on every single Sunday. Maybe it's praying together. Maybe it's eating meals. And they, and, they, and they saw that there was a little bit of an effect of that, but not a huge statistical difference between the two about Sunday Mass attendance or uh, about praying together as a family. What they found was st- st- statistically significantly different between the two groups was spiritual conversations. Spiritual conversations, not conversations about Catholicism, not conversations uh, about God, but, but spiritual conversations about what our spiritual right, response to God is, what was happening in our spiritual life. Those spiritual conversations will, was, happened on a regular basis, maybe weekly or every other week, in non or in families that mo, that uh, their family continue to practice. Now, this was a statistical difference, so it's not a hundred percent, you know, uh, shot, uh, you know, like a perfect bullet uh, in the midst of it all. But I think about that for ourselves. Evangelization is really difficult, um, and talking, you know, and trying to explain people about the faith or why they should do certain things. But spiritual conversations, I think, are doable. And I admit, again, as a priest, spiritual conversations are difficult. Um, I'm really good at spiritual conversations in confession. Uh, When somebody comes to me for help and spiritual direction, I'm really good at spiritual conversations in those specific, very boxed-in situations. Uh, But I have a really difficult time having spiritual conversations with my siblings. Even my parents, who are awesome people. I have a difficult time with spiritual conversations. With my friends, I have a difficult time with spiritual conversations. And why is that? I think sometimes because I'm not confident enough in the way that God's working in my life. And so one way that we take that is we have to kind of prepare ourselves and acknowledge what kind of ways that Jesus is working in our life. 
Or maybe what kind of ways, and be authentic and genuine in what kind of ways you're struggling in your spiritual life. What kind of ways in your, in, in your life, in your spiritual life, is difficult or good. And to be able to know those things so that you're not completely cut off guard. But then also to accompany people. To ask people, hey, how is prayer going? How is your spiritual life? Hey, what is God doing in your life? You know, during this Christmas season, have you seen God work more? You know, have you, have you come to any greater understanding about Jesus? And then to wait with the person, right? Follow up with the person. To have those conversations. Um, one of the things that we'll do is um, we'll have an opportunity. We'll be blessing some chalk uh, for uh, during uh, the Feast of Epiphany. The little sheet of paper has instructions, but they kind of have uh, you, you write the year and then the kind of the three magis, the initials for the magis. And you put that kind of on the doorpost um, to, to kind of bless the home in some ways. And so I think about that as an opportunity to have a spiritual conversation. Not just about the objectiveness of, well, we do this because it's a tradition and we always do it and it's nice to do. Well, that's kind of exterior, right? Um, but the spiritual conversation has, wow, this really fills me with peace. When I see this, it reminds me of God and I'm really grateful for that, right? Or I think about the Magi and the way that they traveled and I think about my journey, right? Linking it something more to the spiritual life as opposed to just the outside objective nature to it. God is doing amazing things in this time, in your life, and in this generation. Um, May we be aware of it, and may we desire and seek to help bring Jesus to the whole world, because the world needs it so incredibly badly. Um, There is great darkness, but the darkness has not overcome the light. The light will shine even more brightly in the darkness. So let it shine in our lives and uh, in the world.